Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get started um, because I know that we, we, we want to have time for Q&A, if there is time for that. But um, some questions have been sent in. Some of you all sent some questions even uh, last week. I thought last week we would have time for questions, and it's just how it goes. Um, so here's, here's my, my deal with you. Send in your question, text it to me, email it, whatever. Um, but, you know, if you figure out you have a question after this, send me the email later and let's talk about that. Um, I say that, at the very least, as pastoral staff, uh, I want to know what you're hearing. I want to know what, and Darwin, was, Darwin does too, I want to know what you're getting out of this. Uh, where have, you know, if you look at, think about a bullseye, where have we... Hit the bullseye, missed it, that kind of thing. Um, so, questions and feedback are really, really helpful. And um, especially especially in, a, in an environment like this, questions help. You know, We're not going to be able to hit every single slice of life and demographic. Uh, and so, it would just help us know where we can kind of begin to pay attention. So, uh, I'm going to get started. So, let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we pray that as we uh, conclude four weeks talking about uh, your good gift of sex and sexuality in general, uh, that you would help us to learn something about ourselves, but also, maybe even more important, learn something about you. And uh, we pray that in doing so, you'd be glorified. We ask this all in your Son's name. Amen. So... When we divided this up, you know, it was pretty clear that we needed to do something uh, for singles and non-marrieds, not in a sympathetic, oh, we've got to do something for them kind of way, uh, but in a way that you've got to have both. You've got to have married and non-married conversations about this or it's unbalanced. And uh, so this is not just sort of a, well, let's just do something for the other people in the room. Um, I think you'll see that this still affects everybody. But um, that's, that's part of what this is. The angle of which I'm approaching this is to try to feed off of what Darwin has already talked about, um, which is, is giving us a high, value, high view, high value of the body, of sexuality in general. And as you see there on the top of your handout, really what I want to try to do is explore what would happen to us, uh, teenager, college, Graduate, married even, divorced, same-sex attraction, non-married, everybody in between. What would begin to happen to us if we allowed ourselves to live out of this high view of the body, which is and becomes part of this high view of sexuality, as opposed to uh, the two volumes, the two, the two narratives that we're hearing in our culture today that primarily shape and form us? Um, there's a lot of direction to go with this, and uh, I've got to pick one. And so, uh, in, in the one that I'm picking, I'm also going to list the ones that, you know, what this is not about. So, let's, let's start there. And this doesn't mean that we can't talk about this. Let's talk about this in other places, but I want to be clear. Like, what, what we're not going to talk about is trying to find, and this is, this is my own wrestling too, trying to find a direct parallel here between, uh, you know, as far as the Christian ethic is concerned, married, 
that the context of marriage is the context for, for sexuality or sex, excuse me. Uh, and so then there's this, this, well, what do non-marrieds do? How do they live? And too much work, I think unhelpful work has been done trying to find a direct parallel to say, well, you can still have the joy and, and the happiness uh, without having sex, and so you, you just need to you know, figure out what that is. And, and in some, some ways, we're trying to find a direct parallel um, to make, I don't know if it's to make non-marrieds feel better about themselves. Um, I don't know if it's to make uh, you know, high school students who are you know, burning with passion, if that's even the right word to put it, um, you know, to make them realize, hey, this isn't the end-all, be-all of things. I think that belittles the topic, um, and it doesn't, it's not really helpful either. Um, so I'm not, I'm not trying to find some sort of direct parallel. Am I making sense about that? Um, to sort of satisfy, hey, if you're not having sex, even if you're married, it's okay, because this is the, the, the equivalence to this, you know. Um, I'm not going not gonna to do that this morning, because I, I don't think it's helpful. Uh, the second thing is, is, this is not about feeling sorry for singles. Um, I think that is a pressure the church has put on sing, the single culture. Uh, at best, not knowing it. But, and, and one of the ways this happens is elevating, as we've talked about before, elevating marriage in general. That it's the end-all, be-all of life. Uh, and part of the reason why it's the end-all, be-all of life is because it's the context in which sex is appropriate according to the Bible. Um, and because that's true, sex is ultimate. And we, we are essentially saying the same thing that culture is saying. We're just saying it in a Christian way. Uh, and so out of that, we, we sort of begin to feel sorry for singles. I wish they could just experience this. And what I've learned from my single friends is stop feeling sorry for me. And that's been really helpful to hear. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and, you know, talk about that either. And I think that's helpful for us to get out that assumption. Uh, lastly, Jesus should be enough. Um, Jesus is enough, and yeah, we can say he should be enough, but it's not helpful either just to leave people with that. And the reason for that is oftentimes we say something like that out to a crowd, and the purpose of it is so that I actually feel better about myself, or I feel better about my married life, and, and we just sort of throw some platitude out there of, well, you, you need to be more involved in the community, in the church, or whatever, and, and, and maybe you read your Bible more. And when that happens, Jesus will be enough for you, and things will be, things will be okay. Again, not helpful. And um, uh, I, think, I think one of the biggest problems with that is the, the church, marrieds, even non-marrieds, right? We need to be able to suffer, suffer along with our singles who are suffering in that way. We need to empathize with them as best we can. And that actually helps out more than just sort of sending out platitudes about what they should or shouldn't do. Um, to, to enter into that pain with them. And we'll see why that's important. Um, in the same way that you want people to enter into your pain as well as a married. Um, so um, that's, that's part of what that means. So that's what this isn't about. Uh, what, what it is about is trying to figure out how both groups... Um, when, when, when given the high view of the body and sexuality, how both groups benefit and grow. Um, here's what's true that we can't get around. And um, again, this is, this is totally open for criticism, but I think this is part of the, uh, the challenge here. One, 
Non-marrieds not having sex are never going to truly buy the voice of marrieds that say, it's not everything, you're really not missing out on much. Now, I show a little bit of where my experience lies with this, and that is primarily dealing with college students in the past. Um, and, um, and so there's a voice here that I need to hear from, which would be uh, widows and widowers, um, folks that have um, been divorced. Um, and, and, and some of that can kind of be true in this statement, but I think you get what I'm trying to get at is there's, there's this idea that, um, you know, that somehow... Um, if we just listen to each other, right, if I try to tell, I'll just use the context of which I'm familiar, if I try to tell somebody who's not married, maybe that person's a college student, maybe that person is just you know, in their 20s or 30s, that sex is not the end-all, be-all of life because I am married and I have experienced that reality, I can communicate that to them, to y'all, but at the end of the day, there's going to be this, well, you don't, it's easy for you to say. It's just that's the way it's going to be. It's kind of how we are. Uh, the, on the other side of that, marrieds are never going to be able to fully communicate or convince non-marrieds that sex isn't everything. Um, some of those who have been on both sides of this know this know this better than than others. But for both, it's a you don't know until you're married or single kind of argument, and it, and that doesn't it, it just we just kind of go round and round and round. Why is this the case? Because we learn so much experientially. It's not the only way we learn, but primarily. We are a culture that, that, that learns experientially. Um, so we say or we hear what's true is what I, what I can't experience. Um, my experiences are my own and no one can know them. Therefore, with this, top, with this topic, we are actually having to do a lot of trusting, which is why it's so important to hear the voice of both sides. Trusting each other, uh, Maybe not being able to fully empathize with their situation, but trusting that what one party is saying gives me insight into the topic of sex and sexuality in general and my own, and my own self and God as well. Um, okay, um, and I, as I say there, trusting that sex isn't everything. And the question that I have now is why is this even part of the vernacular? Why, why are we even saying something like sex isn't everything? Who said it was everything, right? And this is, this is where I want us to go for the for, uh, majority, not majority of our time, but for the next 10 or 15 minutes. I want us to back up for a second and look at how our culture undervalues and overvalues sexuality, beauty, kind of that whole, the body, the whole thing. And I think when we do that, it'll be helpful for us to see some of the uh, assumptions that we have as we move into life in general and understand our own bodies and, and others. Before we do that, have I lost anybody? Any questions? Any? Okay, it's going to back up slowly. Um, okay, so let's look at the first one: how we undervalue it. And I think on your handout you'll see we're going to look at Proverbs thirty eighteen to twenty. Uh, we undervalue sex, um, as uh, Pastor Tim Keller mentions, uh, by making sex a commodity. Uh, you see, sex is consumption. Um, when, and when we do this, when we undervalue sex, sexuality, beauty, uh, the body, we are dehumanizing each other. So let's explain that. In other words, we look at, the, look at sex today as consumption, and we do that because we look at relationships today, people as more consumer-based 
than commitment-based. For example, in the past, you had, uh, you know, primarily, primarily you had these two sets of relationships. You had commitment-based, consumer-based relationships. Commitment-based relationships would be family, immediate family, close friendships. Uh, You still have those today, but these are relationships that say, you know, no matter what really happens here, uh, you know, we're family, right? We're blood is thicker than anything, and whether I like it or I don't, we're in relationship with each other because you're my brother or sister or mom or dad or whatever it is, and so that's commitment-based. Consumer-based is, hey, I'm friends with the mailman, but basically because of the what, what that person gives me, right? I mean, we're we're not having dinner at each other's house, but I'm friendly with him and he's friendly with me or she or whoever it is because they bring me my mail and I'm very thankful for that and I pay taxes and pay their salary. I don't know, whatever it is. Or maybe it's going to the grocery store. You just have these, they have these uh, relationships throughout the community that aren't commitment-based but are consumer-based because of what somebody does for somebody else. Okay? Well, what a lot of the, the sociology has has discovered over the past 30 or 40 years is that slowly and slowly the commitment-based relationship category narrows and what, what, what we begin to see is that all of our relationships are moving in the direction of consumer-based, which is to say that, that we look at every relationship, even, even family now to some degree, as what are you giving me? What am I getting out of this? Okay? And certainly we are looking at this in our dating relationships, Okay, we're looking at this in our engagements, uh, marriages for sure. Um, and and, and it, I'll go back to the dating relationship. When we look at and when we weigh relationships based on what it is, what product it is that I'm, I'm receiving, you know this when that product stops being delivered, what happens to the relationship? So let me back up here for a second. What, what are some of the things... Um, what are some of the things that we go into relationships looking for? And maybe not even knowing that. Security would be one. Maybe we want attention. Maybe we want companionship. Uh, maybe we want the reputation of being with this person. Maybe we want happiness. Happiness is a big one today. Um, maybe we want sexual pleasure. Maybe we want you know, fill in the blank. Okay. Well, what happens when in that relationship, let's just use hap- happiness as an example. What happens when you stop? Feeling happy when the relationship stops making you happy, you get out. And there's a, there's a, there's a part of this that you know, generationally speaking, that that just makes sense. All right. Um, now we won't even get into why it's not making you happy, but there is this sort of code here, if you will, that says when you stop getting what it is that you want to get out of this relationship, that is that is that is uh, light or that is. Um, that is the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, that's the insight that should tell you this is the wrong relationship, okay? All right. Um, reputation, uh, like I said, sexual pleasure, for example. When, when that stops, right, if we say we're just in this for whatever I can get from this person, what usually happens? Well, there's usually ultimatums. There's usually some type of negotiation there because the relationship is based on consumerism. It's consumption. It's what am I getting out of this person? Okay? Now, just aside, that doesn't mean that just because all of a sudden you're unhappy in a relationship that you've got to stay in it dating. That's not what that means. 
Uh, but it does mean you need to ask yourself, dating or whatever, what is the real reason that I'm in this for? Am I in this for me and what I'm receiving out of it, or am I actually trying to get to know this person? Am I actually trying to give my life away in an appropriate way that the relationship allows for to serve somebody? Or am I only in it for what I can get, i.e. consumer-based relationship? Okay. Um, all right, so what happens, though? Any questions on this, by the way, so far? All right, good. What happens when sex becomes a product, when sex becomes consumption? Um, both parties involved are dehumanized and essentially likened to groceries is the, the illustration, if you will, for um, undervaluing the body, undervaluing beauty, undervaluing uh, sexuality. When this happens, sex loses its wonder. It loses its reverence. It loses its highness, if you will. Um, its place. It becomes detached from real personal physical bodies and becomes very cerebral to us. Sex lives only in the mind, not the body, and this is undervaluing it. So let's look at Proverbs 30 real quick, verses 18 and 19. It should be, it could be somewhat a familiar proverb for us. So verses 18 and 19, I'll read these. Um, these are these are these are metaphors uh, that the that the author is likening to sex and sexuality. So three things are too wonderful for, wonderful for me. Four I don't do not understand: the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, and the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. All right. So just stop there for a second. Uh, when you think about, when you break down those, those, those illustrations, for example, uh, the, the eagle, right? They're, all these have, have an entering into and a riding metaphor to them. And what the author is doing is associating, is likening sex and sexuality to soaring. All right, and there's still the entering metaphor there that even Darwin was talking about in the past as the, as the eagle enters, you know, enters the, the wind. But what is happening in that process? This is the vision of it. This is the wonder of it here. This is, a, this is, this is poetry, okay, that it's likened to soaring. Um, sh- sailing, right? There is a, there's, a, there's a riding of waves, right? There's, there's a, uh, a motion here, right, that is uh, a, a pretty, pretty picture you know, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the author here of what this is like. Okay, and then finally, this all kind of comes together with, with what it, you know, the last part there, the way a man with a virgin, all right? So the reason why it's helpful to set it up there is the contrast we get in verse 20. And what was verse 20 say? This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no, I have done no wrong. So on one hand, you have this high view, you have this wonder, you have this uh, sex is likened to, to sailing, to, 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 to soaring through the air. And then on the other, you have sex is just... I'm just wiping my mouth. It's consumption. What? What did I do? Um, what's wrong here? It's appetite. And what the Bible is trying to tell us, and, and all of us really, is that when sex becomes consumption, there is no fill to it. All right? There's no fill to it. You desire to consume and consume and consume. And when you do that, it continues to grow and grow and grow, yet it will never be filled and never be satisfied. Okay? There's a part of this that's helpful. We've been talking about it with, with you know, the pornography thing, with everything, that when you're not having sex, but this is your view of it, 
there's a part of it that's driving that, that says, okay, this is what I want. I, you know, I may not know it, but I want sex as consumption, essentially. I want it to satisfy something in me. Um, and, and, and that drive never, ever gets satisfied. At the same time, and so then we're, so this, 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 and this opens itself up to all kinds of different, you know, scenarios of, of making bad decisions, right? Of, um, you know, I can't wait. And so we just, okay, well, if you can't wait, you need to, okay, just be, be smart about it. I don't know. We, we just begin to lower our guard because all of a sudden we've begun to, you know, understand sexuality on a level that is undervaluing it. All right? It's consumption. Um, but what happens when we pull back from that and realize, okay, I am just looking at this as a product, right? You know, what, what, when I was young, right, and I wasn't married, right, I can think about, I can remember still, vaguely, what it was like, what my thoughts were about sex. They're completely different now being married for 10 years. Um, but what, what I can say to even peel off of what Darwin has been saying over the past couple of weeks is never once as an unmarried that I ever want to have sex because I was ready and wanted to, to, to make that a metaphor for committing to every aspect of someone's life. In other words, I was never thinking about sex and, and saying at the same time, oh, I'm ready to give financially to this person, psychologically, emotionally, socially, everything. No, it was a product to me at that point. I just, I wanted what, fill in the blank, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not interested in why, you know, why was I thinking that or is that just a product of the culture? That's just the way that it was. I think, there's, I think we can all kind of go, you know, some of us have probably had similar experiences and, 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 and marriage has shaped that for me. Um, but that's what, I'm, that's what I'm getting at. The undervalue of it says this is product, this is what I want, and there's a drive that continues to be fed to want to, to, want to have that product and we think this is natural. Uh, we think this is um, healthy. All right, we call this sexual expression, uh, which is a lie. All right, um, we'll get to that in a second. So, all right, I, that's the main point about the undervaluing of it. Sex is consumption. Let's go to the overvalue. Are there any questions about undervaluing uh, sex, sexuality, beauty, the body, um, as, as I, I've talked about it? Okay, so how do we overvalue it? Uh, when we undervalue sex, as we said, we dehumanize sex, or dehumanize each other. When we overvalue sex or sexuality, we dehumanize ourselves. Uh, so we'll turn over to Proverbs eleven twenty two. I've got that printed out here. So um, Proverbs eleven twenty two says, "Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion." <clears throat> I don't know why I feel the need to do this. Uh, first of all. This is more of a hit on men and not on women. I know the Proverbs sometimes seem to be one-sided in the gender. And we've talked about this in our Sunday school class on Proverbs. It's written to boys to grow up and understand themselves. So there's, always, there's going to be a little bit of a, a, you know, a gender bias here. But this is not in any way you know, saying that men can't be, you know, what's the word, you know, without discretion either. Um, what this is actually doing is saying men, you know, blaming men for being shallow and superficial and only being attracted to, you know, the cover of the book, so to speak, and not the book itself. Um, but what, the, what, what this proverb is getting at is when you're reaching out for something that looks intriguing, looks beautiful to you, 
Um, and it, it can be, it could be sex, sexuality, the body, everything, right? When there's a superficialness to it, when you reach out to grab it, what, do you, what happens? You end up with a mess in your lap, right? So you go for that ring in this pig's nose, and you, you go, oh, I got it. This is great. This is what I want. This is what's going to make me happy. And you go and you pull, and you pull it to yourself, and you, you get a lot more than you bargained for. Is essentially what the, what the proverb is saying, and um, you know, and we've kind of labeled these already. But if you, well, let's think about what are the gold rings, as it were, of sex and sexuality, the body, and you know, just our topic in general. What are some of those today? And we, we've listed some of those, but I'd like to hear from you if you feel comfortable saying. What are some of those gold rings we reach out for? Entertainment. Okay. Yeah. Didn't think about that one. Drugs, alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And and certainly sex can be a part of that. Beauty can be a part. Beauty is a big one. Um, I would still use a lot of the ones we used earlier. Uh, Emotional connection, security, friendship. Our loneliness is probably the biggest driver of this. Probably this whole, everything we've talked about so far, uh, is the fear of being alone, the fear that I don't have anybody out there that's going to be with me. Um, I don't know who I am apart from being in a relationship with somebody. That type of loneliness, you know, when you're, you don't know who you are yet in your own skin. Um, and so you reach out for someone to, to, you know, to numb that, essentially. They say, okay, I don't want to think about this anymore. Um, loneliness is a huge gold ring for us. So, in the illustration, you know, it's the pig with the ring in its nose. But it strikes me that we're talking about human relationships. So, there's the other side of this where you're, you are tempted to be that for someone else. Yeah, absolutely. So, they want escape, they want work, they want this, 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 this. You're, you're saying you're, you're, you can be the actual pig. I, I know, I think, so yeah. Like yeah. Dating relationships that are about that, and I think about how to counsel young kids to not be that for somebody else. Yes. That's not a healthy relationship. Yes. If you're big or if you're the one grabbing for the Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's a good point. Um, friendship, I'm trying to get back where we were here, because um, we'll, we'll keep feeding that in, too. Um, ah, pornography is a huge one, right? Um, this, this looks great. This, I think this is what I need, what I want. And then you've got this big mess. Um, okay, so if I'm, sing- if I'm a single woman, for example, and, I, and this is sort of application for this, and I think what matters is what I look like, right? What, I, what, what matters is my figure, for example, because that's all that guys seem to care about. That's all that guys seem to, uh, you know, those, those who look a certain way, they get the attention, then, then what do I start to do? This is the overvaluing. I do anything to attain a certain look, i.e., I, I develop an eating disorder, right? Let's just go right to it. Um, interesting statistic, eating disorders are three to five times more likely in women in industrialized nations as opposed to poor nations. And they're twice as high in college-educated graduates than non-college-educated women. Um, <clears throat> and this is the example of what I mean by dehumanizing ourselves. We're willing to, to do this to ourselves, which is making us less than human, uh, 
because we are overvaluing what we think is important, what somebody else wants. Um, but this is not a singles problem, obviously. Um, how many marrieds, 40, 50s, and 60 year, year, years of age are there that live each day wondering, I hope I'm pretty enough for him today? Um, or, you know, I hope that I have created uh, the lifestyle that she has always dreamed of. Um, I hope that I'm, I listen well enough. I don't know if any of you guys have thought that. You should start thinking that. But maybe I'm hoping I'm funny enough for her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why is plastic surgery so common? You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting cultural observation that, you know, and then when you get into the culture of plastic surgery, this isn't saying that all plastic surgery is bad. That's a conversation for another, another day. Um, but what's interesting about plastic, people that have plastic surgery for what I would say would be more superficial cosmetic reasons, um, like have had 18 nose jobs because the 16th one just didn't quite get, get there, is that once you cut, and this is what they say, you never stop cutting. Once you cut, you never stop cutting. I find that interesting because what, what, what happens is, is, is you have a change here in your body, right, medically speaking, that perhaps maybe the first or second time, this is, this is great, I'm glad, glad you live in an age when, when something can, you know, can help you in this way. Um, but then you begin to think, oh, I wonder, what if, what if I was just a little bit more this way? Just a little bit more this way. And it, and it never, ever ends. And this is the overvaluing of beauty, the overvaluing of sexuality in the body. And what is it doing to you? It's dehumanizing you. All right. and we could put up some of the you know, classic, some of these you know, things you see on you know, BuzzFeed or whatever of people who've had plastic surgery throughout the years, and here they were 20 years ago, and here they are now, and you don't even, they don't even look human. Dehumanizing, right? Um, so this is, this is just an example, and I, I think I already said this, but for men, it's why pornography is so destructive to themselves. It's overvaluing sex and what we think it can give us that drives us to be addicted to it. Um, and not being able to go without it, which leads to all kinds of other issues, okay? All right, so that's the overvaluing part of it, the, 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 the cliff notes. So what does this mean for us? Um, here's, a, here's something that I want us to leave with here, or, you know, or consider, that bodies bring God glory and have purpose, whether they are sexually active or not. And at first, that may sound simple and sure, but I really like, like think about that because I don't think that is a that is not a voice being heard today. And I, and I had to really think about this myself because um, I just haven't thought about it before. Um, like, what if something happens to Ada? Right? I don't remarry or whatever. Or, or not, what's the, what if something doesn't happen to Ada and we become 70 or 80 or 90 years old, right? And I mean, I don't know what happens at that age, but I'm just saying, I'm guessing at some point things break down. I'm just going to leave it at that. Like <laughs> sex will end at some point. What's going to happen? And I've got to, I got to ask myself, can my, do I think my body can bring God glory, whether it's sexually active or not? And the answer that I want, well, I want to prove to you is yes. What this means then is that when we see sex as God designs it, as Darwin's been talking about, not as what we might want it to be, we enter into how God has called all of us to glorify Him through our bodies. Now, when I say a phrase like glorify Him through our bodies, it's very abstract. I get it. And we, our eyes glaze over. What, what does that mean? I'm going to try to unpack that. And, but, but, but 
So to stay with that, when, when we are glorifying God through our bodies, that's when we experience the joy that is that comes to us when we are functioning, when we're being human, when we're, when we're behaving how we're supposed to behave. All right, when, um, when we, yeah, I'll just leave it at when we're being human. I'll put it that way. Okay, so Beth Felker Jones has a book called Faithful, A Theology of Sex that I found very helpful. Um, some of this is going to sound a little Catholic. She's not Catholic, but I, I've always said, I think as far as the PCA is concerned, but Protestant circles, we need a little more Catholic categories for body theology. Um, so, uh, but, so just a warning at that. Um, let me read this to you all. This is what she says. She says, Christians have always seen that the work of glorifying the Lord in the body is work that can be done in two states, that of marriage or of singleness. Too often we think of this as a hard either or, but life is a lot less predictable than that. All of us are single for some portion of our lives. We may want very much to marry, but it may not happen. We may be married for years, but then find ourselves single again due to death of a spouse. Within marriage, there are good reasons that couples sometimes can't have sex, after birth of a baby, for instance. We can't always control whether we are married or single, but married or single, we are free to witness to the life of Jesus in our bodies by the way we do or don't have sex. Let me stop there for a second. I have never had anybody tell me that I am witnessing, and maybe even put it this clearly, that I'm witnessing to God through the body when I have sex married or when I don't have sex not married. Maybe you have. But we are free to witness to the life of Jesus in our bodies by the way that we do or don't have sex. How? When, as a single person, we don't have sex, we witness to the dignity and to the purpose of the body. Okay? This is a horizon now for us to go after. And this is, this is getting back to what happens when we have this high, high view of the body and sex. I think this is something that we can actually get behind and go after. Um, but we witness to the fact that being human is not about selfish pleasure. Being human is about glorifying God. We witness to the fact that there is more to life than easy indulgence. We witness to the faithfulness of a God who empowers us to be faithful in singleness. When we, as married people, have sex only with our spouse, for example, we witness to the dignity and purpose of the body. Same, same as singles. Our embodied one flesh union becomes a testimony to the faithful relationship between Christ and the church. In either case, marriage or singleness, all of our bodily finitude is for God. In either state, we're to embody the freedom that is ours in Christ. Okay? What I think she's getting at here. And, and, I'll, and I'll summarize my, in my own words, is that I think deep down uh, beyond all the sexual frustration that both marrieds and non-marrieds have, right? Um, we, want, we want to know more than anything that our body has a purpose, a kingdom purpose. Um, and if you look at the voices, right, the voices even from the church or from the culture, that purpose is always located in sexuality and having sex itself, um, for the church, it's, oh, you got to get married. And when you get married, oh, life is wonderful, and that's great. Um, when you, you know, outside the church, it's, it's, it's you only know who you are. You're, you, you are, um, you, life is only experienced when you're having sex is, is essentially the, the, the refrain. Um, but what I think we want to know is that, that, that there can be purpose for our body, going back to what I'm saying, um, and, and when we are not, um, that our body is actually serving a purpose, sorry, and has meaning outside of these categories. Um, 
I've lost my place here. Let me just read this for y'all. If our culture is saying its greatest purpose is sexual, or another voice is saying this is the only place where your bodies find meaning, sex, being beautiful, being wanted by someone else, etc., then we will always be disappointed, we will always be skeptical, and we'll always um, uh, um, be, oh, and, and we will be angry. Um, God, why did you make me like this? Right? God, why don't you bring me a spouse? God, why did you have to take my spouse away? And then here's the skeptical one, and this, is, this puts us right back in Genesis 3 in the garden. God, are you really good? Right? We begin to question his goodness towards us. But if we find that our bodies are bringing God glory outside of sex, that they are serving purpose and having real meaning outside of it. And this is, this is part of the work that we need to continue to actually figure this out, what, what this more looks like. Then that's a horizon that I can begin to move towards regardless of whatever season of life I find myself in. Um, because what it's doing is it's taking this good thing, sex, that we've made an ultimate thing, and it's bringing it back down to its rightful place. Um, and it's not undervaluing it either and saying it doesn't matter. Uh, and it's replacing it with the horizon of, of glorifying God in your body. Okay? Um, Jones, the author here, goes on to talk about um, our bodies as, not as idol, but as icons. And just to summarize this, I think I put this in there. Her quote is, in, in embodiment, the faithful human creature may allow us to see something of God. And that's what an icon is. We don't have a, a theology, an, an icon. We don't have a theology of icons in our... It's more Eastern Orthodox. We kind of got weirded out by that and got rid of all of them. Um, but what she is saying is that, is that uh, instead of idol, we can be an icon, meaning I can be something that walks around um, and because of how I handle myself in my body, because of the faithfulness I have, either married or unmarried, I begin to what? Represent to somebody else and show somebody else in a very tangible, real way the glory of God himself. That is huge. Um, and that is a completely different narrative than I think any of us are used to hearing. I can begin to say, and I think if, I, if you remember back even in those days when you were maybe in high school or college or out of college or wherever, or even married, frustrated because sex isn't doing what I thought it was going to do, I actually hate it. Like we, we're okay. It's okay to say that, by the way. <laughs> There's a freedom there to say, I, I hate sex. It's awful. We, and you can come to my office, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but that's a reality within a majority of married couples. Doesn't mean we you know, don't figure out how to make it work out, but I think we're afraid to say those things. Either case, either scenario, understanding that, that, that this part of me, that there is the, 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 the possibility of through the faithfulness of those, of those things, of stewarding those things properly, that I can begin to be an icon, if you will, to, to reflect something about the glory of God and who God is to other people. Mm-hmm. How do you think of that in a way that doesn't just secretly become because I actually yeah. really like people to notice how attractive I am? Right. Or, you know, married people can be like, 
wife. Right. When you're really doing it for your second wife. Yeah. This is a good question. I, the short answer here, and I'm always hesitant whenever I've got a quick short answer to give you, is, is, is to do the why. Let me get to this application real quick, and it'll, it'll, it'll hit at this. Well, maybe this is a segue. It's the why. Why am I dressing the way I'm dressing? Um, why am I so consumed with um, you know, the attention that I get from who I get that from? Uh, why... <clears throat> Why does loneliness, you know, such a powerful thing to me? And all of this is replaced with the gospel, right? All of this is replaced with the gospel. Jesus, uh, you know, satisfying that why for us. So when I think about what you just asked about dressing and those kinds of things, I can transition from, okay, I'm dressing up and looking good because uh, I want somebody else to notice me. But when I, when I, when I rest in Christ... Right? What I begin to work through and what the gospel tells me is I need to care more about what Jesus thinks about me than what some 18-year-old or some 23-year-old or some spouse thinks about me. And when I, when I learn to live out of that, right, I begin to become less insecure. I become, begin to become less secure in, in this relationship that I have with, in, in Christ, in Jesus. Right? Um, and I'm now free, actually more free, to go and reflect that dignity. So, I, you know, you've seen people transition from, you know, they were all, I mean, they couldn't go without having the latest clothes. And then somewhere along the line, like, it was just Carhartts and flannel. And you're like, what happened? And there was just this transition of, like, I realized that this was, I mean, I was just doing this for show and because I was so insecure and I didn't know who I was and I wanted somebody to like me. But then they kind of grounded themselves in, like, who does Jesus say that I am and do I really believe that? And all of a sudden, they started, like, dressing nice again. And the difference is the why, right? Just to use that as an example. Um, I think beauty is the same way. Like, you know, to go back to the cosmetic surgery debate, um, you know, when people, we say people can't stop cutting, that's a why question. What do you think this is going to do for you? What do you think this is going to bring you? And, and, and do you know that you'll never, ever find it in beauty? You'll never, ever find it in these areas. The only place you find it is in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Let me get to this. Um, we just don't have time for questions right now. Um, but I, I feel like I need, to, I need to leave you here with this, and then we can... We got 10 minutes. Come on, right? We got 10 minutes. Um, okay, y'all seen the whole trick where you're walking uh, down the street or at, usually at a theme park, and you'll see this, like, shiny quarter on the street. You'll go down and pick it up, but then you'll realize it's like cemented into the. the you're right, it's a, and there's somebody watching, or they've got a camera set up, or whatever. Or, or in the case when I was young, it like had a little hole in it, and they would splash water in your face when you went down to pick it up. Um, so much of sex, the body, beauty, everything we've been talking about is 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 in many ways related to this coin. And and there's really kind of three kind of areas I want to leave you all in, practically speaking. Um, that uh, and you think you see them on your handout. That, that are, are kind of where we need to be. Uh, all right. So, so for, the, for the first group, some of us just need to hear that what we're going after, what we're trying to get, is not real. It's false. It's fake. It's not true. And for some of us, when we begin to hear that, it could be on the pornography side of things, it could be on the beauty side of things, it can be on you know, just thinking that this relationship and then having sex when I get married is the end-all, be-all of life. Like That's where everything is going to uh, finally um, work out for me. That is deception. 
It's not true. And some of us is just hearing that, believing that, understanding that is enough to get us to keep walking, right? To walking on, moving on by and, um, and, and, and beginning to um, learn more about who we are as an heir to, to the kingdom of God. That's the first one. The second one, some need to be shown true motives in our hearts. So this gets to what Andrew was talking about. All right. So if I'm going to go down and pick up that coin every time I see it, at some point I got to pause and ask, okay, again, what are the motives of my heart for wanting this, for desiring this, for, uh, for crafting this? I mean, obviously some of us are gifted in the look department better than others. I mean, who can, who can match Steve Foltz, right? And this, right? We are not gifted the way that he is gifted and made, he's made. Um, Steve has to steward this beauty <laughs> in a way. Now, he could easily wield it with, the, you know, the power behind that is, is almost irresistible, should I say that, and overwhelming. <laughs> I like irresistible. Um, and so, like, just because he's been gifted in that way doesn't mean that it's something that he has to use as a power grab. Control, is, like, women use, our be- use their beauty, <laughs> I said our beauty, their beauty uh, for control and power. Uh, men use other things for control and power. But you've got to steward it for that. But it comes back to motives. Why, why are you using it in this way? And how do, you, how do you dress appropriately just to use that application? But how do you begin to ask those questions? Why do I want to keep going after this thing? What do I think this is going to bring me? Lastly, some of us are just going to have to trust. Um, we're going to have to trust, this gets back to the beginning, that what is being said by Scripture, what is being said by those in the body of Christ that this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. It's not going to give you what you think it's going to give you. Uh, so that as we go down for the 18th time to pick up that quarter, right before we do that, everything about that I'm feeling, experiencing, says pick that quarter up. But, you know, but at some point in time, I've got to listen to my brother or sister in Christ and say, no, or, or we just go to the Bible, right? And I like, listen to Jesus and trust that this is not where life is found. Right? Even as it goes against all of my instincts sometimes and all that I'm feeling at this point and trust that something else, some other horizon is true. That, friends, in a nutshell, is the Christian life in general. Uh, we've just sort of sliced, uh, sliced out sexuality and, and beauty. But that, those are the three areas at this point that I think we've got to kind of um, you know, hang in there and, and either sharpen each other, uh, certainly ask ourselves these questions, and, uh, and to really ask, you know, why it is that, that I think this part, part of life is the end-all, be-all things. Okay, questions. And I had a few emailed to me, but I'll wait and hear what y'all have to say. Anything? Do back a little bit to um, the church sort of saying marriage is the, the ultimate. It, it's this, this pinnacle and things will be great once you get there. And there's something it seems cyclical in that, that because it's at that level, you don't have the freedom to be open and honest with one another, to maybe say a marriage isn't great, or like you said, I, I don't like sex, or um, just that freedom to say <clears throat> marriage is hard, um, we don't get a, along sometimes, um, or if you were to say to a, a friend, you know, my wife and I are going to go have counseling. Oh, what's wrong? 
-hmm. You know, you must be at the end. And, and if we could get past that, all those negative stigmas, and if we could have more openness with one another to be able to really say to each other, our marriage is terrible right now. Um, how much of that stuff would, would potentially kind of resolve itself, that we could show that it isn't necessarily the ultimate, it's a good thing, um, but it's not the key. I think that's dead on, yeah. And I was listening to a, uh, a sermon the other day sort of on this topic of, of just the anxiety that's in our lives today, especially at, at this, this college-age generation for sure, but... Um, you know, and it's the it's you know it's the Instagram, the Snapchat, you know, just culture of you know you're looking at all these people's lives and you're like, my life sucks. You know, my life is not as great as this. My life is not as pretty as this. My life is not as fill in the blank. And and that's where those lies begin to become. Well, this is I need to up this. I need to I need to. When are we going on vacation? When's this, when's this bikini body going to start shaping up? And I need to get that on my Instagram feed or whatever it is. And we live under this anxiety, but those are all lies. And, and we come in then to marriage. We come into whatever it is that we think is going to be that coin on the ground, so to speak. And when, it, and, 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 and when we get there and we realize it's not delivering, we dare not say anything because we've built our entire lives essentially around this working out for us. And so there's a pride issue there of, can I actually admit that I don't have it all together and this marriage is not doing what it's supposed to do, or that uh, this job isn't giving me what I thought it was going to give me, or, you know, fill in the blank, but that's exactly what you're saying, and I think that's perfect. Okay. Yeah. I would say, you know, on the same side, we need to be able to celebrate and rejoice with people who have successes in those things. Correct. Instead of, like, cast, like, oh, why they get all the good stuff. Or, you know. Yeah. we got to weep with people who are weeping, but rejoice with people who are rejoicing. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the beauty of this place, right? The church, the body of Christ. We have, the, we have more freedom than anybody else to do that because of, of Jesus, right? Um, there's forgiveness here. There's, there's reconciliation. This is a marriage, so to speak. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we live under the assumption that there's grace here. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Let's put that on the table. Let's, let's stop you know, making our lives this Instagram feed as if it's you know, all this, this perfect dressed up thing. And let's get honest about what, where we are in life. And let's get honest about the assumptions that we had about things and move forward and talk about how Jesus replaces those assumptions and those idols and how he becomes more beautiful and believable. And that horizon is something that we begin to pursue. Yes. Could you plug briefly how we can continue this conversation on, June, on February 18th, Saturday and I can do that. I can do that. So uh, we're going to continue this for the ladies on February 18th, Saturday, 630 to 830. Jessica Harris, who spoke at the summit uh, that we were at uh, in April, will be coming and sharing her testimony for the first hour and then the second hour. Um, some of the same, a lot of the same stuff. So it's, it's beauty, sexuality uh, from a female perspective. Um, she was, her story is one of being addicted to pornography. So we want to hear that. We want to hear about how this is affecting women too, but we also want to hear this from a woman's perspective. You know, Steve and I thought we could get up here and talk about this, but that wouldn't have the same effect uh, for it being a women's conference. And then she's going to be here Sunday morning for, for, for moms and dads. Um, so a chance for, for, for guys to be able to come in and listen to her talk about um, uh, what this means for raising daughters, for example, um, and just a, just a Q&A, uh, opportunity to Q&A with her. But, yeah, please mark that on your calendar. It's a huge opportunity for us to even get her to come here and to hear from her perspective. Um, so that will be February 18th, right? And you'll see, you'll see it in the bulletin. You'll see posters up. 
Any final words, comments, questions? I know we're, we've got about seven minutes, so I'm going to pray for us here in two. Yes? One of, the words, or one of the words you used was rest, and I read a book a while back that really contrasted, it was written to women, but I think for men too, the striving that we do, striving for that marriage, striving for the beauty, striving versus rest. I mean, it, it laid it out so beautifully, just mm-hmm. with those two words, you know, and often... That's the question I ask. Am I striving or am I resting? You know, yeah. If I can get back to that. You know, what is the answer to that question in this, in this situation? And, and, and maybe you know, the difference between those two things is the why. Yeah, like exactly. The value I've, put, I've attached to things determines whether I'm able to stress myself out over it okay. or rest in it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean not work at it, right? But it means, yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, Continue. Well, there was a couple questions here that were sent by email. I'll address those back later. I don't. We don't have, we don't have time. Well, actually, do y'all, we have one more minute. I'm sorry. <laughs> we just read this. I don't know. Um, I'm leading the service, so it starts when I get in there. <laughs> right, Jacob. <laughs> um, but leave if you need to. So this is this. this I'm going to read this because I think this is a question a lot of people ask. Um, He's talking about, this may be geared more towards singles, but I appreciate your explanation talking to me and Darwin, Darwin really. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, during the first week. It seems that there are so many interpretations of the meaning of different verses, and you always seem to recognize that. Um, But I thought it might be appropriate to address Corinthians 7, 8 to 9. When I was a single, I saw two different interpretations played out in my friends' dating relationships. One, we're so tempted when we're around each other that we really just need to go ahead and get married. Two, my passion is a, is a sin that needs to be addressed. By getting married, I'm giving in to my weakness and not dealing with my sinful desires. Therefore, I can't t- think about marriage as long as I'm struggling with these desires. So you, you see the, the, the either or here. Um, I don't know if that's a question that y'all have had either, but some of us, you know, to that first one, I would just say what, this, what we've said so far is when, we're, when we say something like we're, we're tempted, when we're, we're so tempted that um, when we're around each other, we just need to go ahead and get married. Um, some of the answer to that is the overvaluing. Like, we're overvaluing this thing. And so we're saying, I, I have, there's no control over it. Um, we just need to go forward and get married. And some of the responses that, that, that I think are helpful with that is if you aren't able to demonstrate fidelity and, and self-control in your engagement, then what does that mean for you when you're married? And I tell guys a lot this, too, thanks, thanks to my wife. She will remember this when she's I write her pregnancy, and she's wondering, okay, here's my body now. We aren't having sex because we can't. Is he going to be able to have the same self-control and the same patience with me? Um, because he didn't demonstrate it when we, before we were married. That will come home to roost. And so what I say about that is, we, no, we never rush in to get married because we can't you know, control ourselves. If anything, that is a reason to pause and say, well, what are you getting into this in the first place? This is the motive question. On the other side of that, my passion is a sin that needs to be addressed. By getting married, I'm giving in to my weakness and not dealing with my sinful desires. Therefore, I can't think about marriage as long as I'm struggling with these desires. Again, I don't like the either or. Sometimes marriage is the remedy, right? So sometimes marriage is the place that you go where, where you know, a lot of guys or, or girls will kind of be like, I've got to get myself to this perfect place or situation or I've got to become this... You know, and before I'm ready to get married. And there's some truth to that. Like, there's some truth to things that you need to have worked out. But, um, but marriage is also the place where that stuff gets worked out. And so we push against both of those responses because 
you know, given the situation, sometimes getting married is the place where you learn how to control those desires because you, you learn, um, you know, you learn more about what they are, are, are for and intended for because now you're in a relationship with a real person. And so um, I, that's a short answer to that. We'll leave it there. Let's go into, yeah, let's go into to, to worship because I'll keep going. Thank, yeah. All right. I just wanted to get that out. Thank you all. Thank you.